broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Grace Bonnie, and you're listening to After the Jump. Sorry, we're starting a little bit late today, but I'm very excited to have Genevieve Gorder with me. We are coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen live every Monday at 12 p.m. at heritageradionetwork.org or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. So today I'm speaking with designer Genevieve Gorder, and she is without question the designer who is solely responsible for the reason I love and work in design today. Oh, boy. I, I'm going to embarrass you and also bring us back and date us a lot. Um, so when I was in college, I transferred from New York University to William and Mary, and I ended up spending an awful lot of time watching television because transfer kids are not the most popular kids on campus. And I was flipping through channels one day, and I ended up on Trading Spaces, and I found myself completely enamored of what I was seeing. And what I was seeing was Genevieve. She was young, she was cool, and she wasn't wearing shoes. I was probably and, your age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were building things by hand. You were working with found materials, mm. and. I just fell in love. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I immediately called my parents and was like, I need to buy tools and I need to build things in my dorm. And I did. And I started building furniture for everybody in my school. And that was really my first introduction to what design was. What were you studying prior to doing this? I studied journalism for a couple of years and then I was a fine art major. Uh, and so I look at it, it's working. I know. But I thought I thought my only option was you can be a painter, you can be a sculptor. I literally didn't know about design and you were my first introduction to that and mm. I will never forget your moss wall yeah. or your rust wall and, and those things are so important to me so I'm in a good so or bad way I, in such a good way uh, such a wonderful way and um, I'm so so happy to have you here so it's welcome. an honor and it's Thank an honor to be an inspiration here. for anybody to get into design that's fantastic news and and lovely I couldn't yeah. create it myself it just is magic when it happens <laughs> and so, I mean so much of what you do is magic but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop myself on the love train for <laughs> second and and bring us back to even earlier so you're from minneapolis which i love because i feel like that spirit invades so much of what you do mm. can you talk a little bit about how minneapolis kind of informed your design sensibility at least in that earlier that's stage? a good question um you must know minneapolis to say that because I do, yeah it's a it's a quirky unexpected place when you stumble upon it and like the vast plains of the midwest even Compared to Chicago, it's like if it were Spain, Chicago would be Madrid, the big financial, you know, big shouldered conservative guy. And we'd be the Barcelona. We are the little crazy eccentrics, Scandinavians who don't talk about it. They just do it. And I grew up with um, a family who was really into the arts, a lot of dancers, a lot of writers, a lot of musicians. So, you know, anything creative that I wanted to do was absolutely supported. Although fast forwarding to my college, um, I didn't know what design was either. You know, if you don't have that wealth that supports having a family interior designer, exactly, you don't know. And we had designing women. You know, <laughs> I was like, although I will take Suzanne Sugarbaker any day, any day. Dixie Carter is welcome <laughs> at my house and her big shawls. But it wasn't familiar territory, and it wasn't taught in schools. But 
I happen to be restoring houses with my family as I grew up, old Victorians in Minneapolis, piece by piece, layer by layer, whenever, you know, the finances would allow, um, we would do something new to the house. So it just became a part of my vocabulary without me really knowing it or knowing it was a skill or abnormal, you know, (laughs) until I got to my dorm and started making my first place, my nest. And it's just so natural. You just Mm -hmm. see it. It's in you. It's wired. It's not always taught. A lot of the theories are, but whether or not you can put the puzzle together is inherent to me. You can't, you can't teach that. You either see the connections and can connect the dots or you can't. Exactly. But Minneapolis is crazy and the roots are so strong and a lot of how I am and how I see is because of coming from there. The big blue plains of water where the sky meets the other blue, the beauty, the, the, just the beauty of the landscape, the severity, the self-deprecation <laughs> that you have to have in order to live there. Exactly. <laughs> and that comes into being approachable, you know? We aren't, um, we have to make fun of ourselves and people are, are definitely attracted to that. Yeah. Well, so from Minneapolis, you went to Portland and Ugh, you went to yeah. Lewis and Clark. <laughs> I know you love Portland. I hate Portland. Oh, no. Okay. So to me, and in, I mean, it's in the best possible way. You remind me of Portland in a really good way. Oh, God. Like, how? I, and it, no, like laid back, super fun. Mm-hmm. You work with your hands a lot. To me, that that is the good side of Portland. Okay, thanks. And I'll so take it. I, I'm like, I was going to ask you if Portland creeped into your design, but now I feel like I shouldn't even ask you. I sure, of course. Every place that we've been or have studied or have seen is in my vocabulary from Holland to Spain to Portland to Minneapolis to you know Miami I've been on I've spent time in all of these places and it soaks into me and how I how I give but Portland for me it's important to know it's important to know what you aren't (laughs) and Portland taught me that really quickly I mean I thought that I was this majorly tough weather lady coming from the tundra I could handle anything but if I don't see my son Oh, I wither. I wither and I need diversity. I need a lot of diversity. And you're like, Minneapolis? Oh, yeah. Minneapolis is way more diverse than Portland. It really is. Yeah, everyone in Portland looks exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of culty. The food's great. The weather stinks. <laughs> but the aesthetic is is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's one note for me. It's yeah. one note in people. It's one note in food. And it's one note in design. But all those notes are very good. And if you yes. like it, that's your place. It's Mecca. That's true. All right, we're going to move on from Portland now. I feel like that was a terrible question. <laughs> I so, love that question. But the one thing, so when you were at Lewis and Clark, I read that you were studying international relations, relations, yeah, and then you switched to graphic design, and that kind of brought about your career change. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that moment? Like, what was that spark like when you decided to go into the arts? It's kind of like what sounds like for you: the heavens opened and the light shone, and you're yeah. like, "This is my life." And I didn't know I would have that experience in graphic design, but I had gone thinking I would be this fabulous diplomat who would throw great parties. And at 18, that's what, you know, the Foreign Service did. (laughs) (laughs) That's all it is. That's all it is in my mind. But it was so much more business and political. I thought it was more anthropological, sociological. So I quickly deferred to another major. And that went into language and into art. And I went and took my first graphic design course. And it was that oh my God, this is what I do. I'm not the best painter. I can't do, you know, a a realist portrait of you sitting in your chair talking in the microphone better than the guy sitting next to me. But I'm an artist, so where where am I shooting my guns? Where's my target? And I, when I found graphic design, it was like, it was momentous. It was that you really did feel the heavens were opening and you found your path. 
And at 18, to know your path, you're pretty darn lucky. Exactly. Definitely. <laughs> and I think for me, what was so powerful about seeing you was to see a woman that I could identify with. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the designers growing up in Virginia, people had like male, like really fussy yeah. male interior designers. Yeah. And that was what I thought it was. So to see someone like young and hip and with it, mm-hmm. just really opened things up for me. And then you went to MTV after that, right? I did at 19. I was at Lewis and Clark and they had, anybody who was studying in the arts would go to New York for a semester. And that was dangerous because I never went back to and Lewis and Clark. It's like, yeah. sorry, you're not getting your tuition. <laughs> I, uh, I got an internship at MTV, which is like, how did you do that? And I think a lot of it, I remember sitting in the lobby for the interview and it was just knowing somebody who'd get me into the interview. All these kids from Pratt, from SVA, from Parsons with their mega portfolios are sitting there and I have like a collage. <laughs> in a manila folder, you know, from Lewis and Clark. It's so Portland of you. <laughs> so, it was so free Portland. Portland. Yeah. I was so ahead of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but they, you know, it goes back to that Midwestern sensibility, and that's why I got hired. And that's why I was told I was hired. I wouldn't be like, toot, toot, I'm great, because that's not Midwestern. But <laughs> saying, you know, you seem malleable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe like you're not as experienced. I don't know what that meant. So what were you doing at MTV? I was designing in the off-air, on-air creative department. So I worked on like the popcorn trophy with my professor for the Video Music Awards. Or I'd design, you know, the cards and the envelopes that they'd open at the shows. Or I'd be a seat filler. <laughs> and then I'd design, you know, the man on the moon and all the different MTVs. There were, that was us doing those. What a cool job. It was so cool. It was the the least amount of money I've ever made in my life, but it was one of the most glamorous like times. <laughs> if you're in New York, we've all been through there at yes, least once. I think everyone's worked for Viacom at some point and been shocked by how little they pay you. Yeah, they, they do that because they can. Exactly. And then every door in the world, I went to Europe after that, opens because you worked at MTV when MTV had more power then too yeah so what were you doing in Europe I got a grant when I was at the School of Visual Arts to study and work well study in (laughs) Holland I got a job (laughs) and I went to the Rietveld Academy which Holland is as you know like the motherland of graphic design the Pete Swartz the forefathers of of cool and in the 20s 30s and they're such a small country they can really afford to design everything from the money to the glassware to the flag like everything is done like we're just too damn big I can't do that it's like healthcare (laughs) we'd never agree on it we would never as a country be able to agree on what those things should look like monocultural so we'd all argue you're so right so I went there and I I was supposed to go to school for a year but I went to school and I'd already learned all that stuff at SVA and everyone was smoking in class <laughs> hand rolled cigarettes including the teacher and going back and forth between Dutch and English and um and there was not a lot of practice it was theory the theory of design which was very heady and interesting, not so interesting in Dutch. Yeah. But it's like, take the interesting out, and then I agree with you. <laughs> take the cigarettes away, and maybe I'll stay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I got a job. And they ended up working in a studio in Amsterdam, checking into class once a week. Um, but the studio experience was really important in my life and getting started and seeing going from that juggernaut of MTV to basically a one woman studio. So I, I got both ends of the spectrum of what I could do in design and graphics, anyway. And then you came back and you worked at a Duffy Design Studio. And you designed a very iconic, uh, it was a gin bottle, right? I did. No, Tanqueray. Yeah. Tanqueray 10. I was, I hate gin. Sorry, Tanqueray. (laughs) I was 23. 
and I got a freelance job. It was actually not through Duffy. It was a freelance job, but Duffy was my job and where I wanted to land since I was, well, since I found design, it's from Minnesota. They're a huge shop. They were super influential in the nineties and the early two thousands. And we were exploding there with Fallon Miguel get the big advertising agency. So it was like 80 hours a week and, you know, a small salary, but I was doing big projects at a really young age and I was getting my ass kicked because I thought I was such a gunslinger coming from MTV in Europe. I'm like, let me show you what I can do. I have a 4.3 from SVA. And I was quickly humbled by the professionals at Duffy. Everybody needs that job. You need the job where you get your ass kicked, where you have projects that are way bigger than you know how to handle. Yeah. And And you're not the best. Exactly. Yeah. I did need that. And there's nothing like the Midwestern sensibility, again, and cultural to do that to you. If you put your head above the crowd, they'll cut it off. (laughs) They cut mine off really severely. And I learned all over again from an incredible team of people who are still my friends. And Joe is, Joe Duffy is like a dad to me. So I did the Tanqueray 10 as a freelance because I wasn't making a lot of money and um, actually a lot of it is influenced from Duffy like our business card was made of metal and I designed the collar just like my business card this little metal embossed collar it's made like a man with shoulders because men drink gin (laughs) has the facets so your hand doesn't slip and the ribbon's metal so that doesn't I mean there's all these logic pieces of logic behind all the design which are really nerdy and geeky but um, only us, we only care about that. <laughs> no one else does. <laughs> well, I love the idea of like relearning, constantly relearning. So we're, yeah. we're going to take a break. Okay. And when we come back, I want to talk about relearning for television. Oh. White Oak Pastures is a 146-year-old, multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan meat that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Hey, we're back. You're listening to After the Jump, and I am here with designer Genevieve Gorder uh, of many, many amazing television shows, and we've been talking about trading spaces, and I want to talk about TV, because that's probably how most of people my age mm. know you, and I have the image of you barefoot with a Swiffer kind of permanently ingrained <laughs> in my head, but we were talking about relearning things, so getting into television from graphic design, mm. uh, how, how was that transition and the learning curve for you? Because you're really good on camera. How Thank are you, you. Were you always? I mean, I guess a lot of people could debate that. If I look, <laughs> I was I laughed a lot more. I always laugh. I think I laughed even more because I was like, what am I going to say? <laughs> you know, when I'm 23, 24, which worked then. Um, I love to teach, and I had taught before I went on to television. I, taught, I had to have done everything way too young. I was a professor at my alma mater like the year I graduated. You know, I, <laughs> I would love to present all the work that we did at Duffy to the client because 
I like the conversation. I like the chat. I want to know. I want to get in their head. I like the psychology of it. And that is a huge piece of design that a lot of geeky designers, and I am one, but we can't wrap our heads around, no pun intended. It's like, I just want to do what I do and not understand the psychology. So television came at a young age and I wasn't coined an interior design. I didn't coin myself as an interior designer. I did interiors. Um, I grew up doing residential with my family, but I'd studied graphic. So that's where I had the, I had a little bit of a, you know, an insecurity about, especially when it came to textiles. Mm. That was like my kryptonite. And I was positioned with these six other people, you know, from Laurie Smith, who's like oh, God. the quintessential yeah, exactly. Dixie Carter. Southern textile queen. <laughs> right. Who could, you know, do a pleat in her sleep. And I was working with metals and ceramic, which I think offered, there's a little bit of somebody for everybody on that show, which exactly. is where chemistry was good. But I learned a lot of the more technical skills of interiors. As I went along, I knew everything about design and I was trained, but it's just switching mediums a little bit that I needed a bigger learning curve. But you watch yourself and you want, and you hate yourself <laughs> <laughs> and you dissect yourself and you want, you figure out what your crutches are, your bad habits, your good habits. You talk about your body. I mean, everything is dissected. So, and then people are telling you this every day through emails and stalking oh you and telling you things you don't want to hear. <laughs> How do you deal with that? I mean, I think in a small way, the blogging community is, deals with that a little mm. bit, like in commentary form, but it's so different than having like your actual physical persona on television and having everybody comment on what you wear, what you yeah. weigh, how you're talking. Yeah. Uh, it's, there were no guides. There were no mentors for us. You know, there was Martha and Bob Vila, but both were so different. So different. <laughs> and Mar you can't like call Martha up and, and chatter. I mean, I've talked yeah. to Martha since, but, she but can you imagine how different you would have acted if like Martha was your style behavior guide for oh, television? It would have come to fists, I think, <laughs> <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I mean, she's the queen. She paved the road. Yeah. But, you know, personality wise, there's so many ways you can be exactly in life and on and television. So, um, there were a lot of scary times, and there are a lot of times you, you just got to figure it out. And we had each other, the six of us, and we were incredibly different people. I bonded with Ty yeah. most closely, and so we still talk to this day. And Whenever I see him, he's like my brother, and I, I love him. For better or for worse, we are all connected because <laughs> we helped start this genre. Oh, so absolutely. It was, um, it was wild, and you didn't have a choice but to figure it out, or you fall through the cracks, and then you don't have a show anymore. I love that. To me, it sort of seems like a college project. It's like you throw yourself in, you try to see like what's the best outcome you can figure out. And it had that sort of like wild, unpredictable feeling. Like there were episodes where I was like, they're gluing straw to a wall. Yeah, I was in the other really house happening. on that one. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Hildy. Yeah. That was crazy. That was certifiably crazy. If it's crazy, um, it was Hildy. But it was so entertaining. <laughs> and that's what that show was so great at. And as much as I love trading spaces, I still think that Town Hall was mm. probably my favorite of yours. Oh, thanks. Because, I get that a lot. But to me, that felt like like the most essentially Genevieve mm. because your sort of good spirited nature came across. It was unpretentious design, but mm. it was still fun and relatable and interesting. There was a community aspect that I think really gets left out of a lot of programs mm. and that heart made it seem like design could be important. And I think so many of us who work in design struggle with the fact that it's can be a fairly superficial field. Yeah. And that show felt like you're doing something important and you're giving back with the skills that you have. Thank you. I, I feel like that is the superpower that I didn't know I had before I got on television is I can communicate 
I can talk to people and I can get them to tell me everything. And in a way that I will not, I will not do anything malicious. I will only try and build something beautiful for you. And the more you give me, the more I can do for you. And to go into all these architectural little gems that are getting eaten up by urban sprawl and the suburbs in such ridiculous ways, it breaks my heart. And so this was an opportunity that television gives you that platform to do powerful things. And that was my biggest frustration, sitting in an incredibly expensive studio, making good money with huge projects for hundreds and hundreds of millions, sometimes millions of dollars in advertising. And then I couldn't design something that could really help people. And that's where advertising really broke off for me. And really, mm-hmm. I lost I lost the spirit of it. I wanted to travel. I wanted to do travel shows for people. To include design into it all of a sudden, this was a complete surprise because mm-hmm. it wasn't an option for all of us growing up when we did. We didn't see it on television. It's just a, the happiest accident of my life. And Town Hall was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do, living with my client for two months at a time. But... Like you said, one of the most genuine and heartfelt experiences that I've had in design, because it's all real. The relationships have time to cure, and the projects are big, and they are approachable, but they're really helping an entire community, which is a rare opportunity. Well, and the community gets to share in it. That's so rare on design TV now. I think it's like you make over one individual family's room or something that's very particular and inside. And it was nice to see this project that an entire community could appreciate and understand. Well, I, while it couldn't go on because financially on cable, it's such a big show. You know, you see your extreme makeovers and you know it has to be on a big network to continue as yeah. long as it did. The ratings were great, but the money to fuel something this big wasn't necessarily there. But I'm grateful that it was on cable because I didn't get the circus. When you're on cable, you can still have design as the hero. It's not the network, it's not the commercial, it's designs the leader. Mm-hmm. And that's not that I haven't had the opportunity to do network stuff, and I have, and I probably will in the future, but I will always want to have a foot in cable because it's the most creative place for this platform. Absolutely. So I want to know what shows you're watching that you're inspired by, oh whether they're God. design or completely non-design shows. I watch junk. I don't <laughs> can I give a, can you hear a high five on radio? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. I like it. I watch junk because it's usually after I put my daughter to bed. I'm tired. I've been designing all day. Occasionally I'll watch HG. Um, and my own show and a couple others. Uh, I watch Kitchen Cousins. I'll watch House Hunters International. Uh, occasionally. It's a little much. I don't even think those are junky yet, though. You, uh, you've really no. not approached. Oh, and then I go to Bravo. Okay, I'm on go. Bravo a lot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Real Housewives, every single one. Um, what else on? What else on Bravo? Let's name some of their other playlists because I'm probably watching. Uh, I think the Real Housewives are a good place to go for junk. That's my main junk. I it's, saw Nene Leaks when I was in Atlanta on my book tour, and I had a really inappropriate, excited reaction. Inappropriate in Nene? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> How you, can you not be excited to see her? What, it, is she really that tall? Yes. Do I look petite compared to Nene? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm five feet tall, so I think that's. You know. What did you say? Like, how? Do oh, we didn't even her? say anything to her. I just stared at her like a creep. <laughs> I'm sure she gets it. I mean, she. It's hard to miss her. Yeah, she's incredibly <laughs> tall, but I think that works for her. Like, she's larger than life in every possible way. I watch her. I watch every that, minute of it. I think the Jersey franchise was my favorite. Though. Jersey Shore or the Jersey Housewives? Both. Why yeah, even I'll, have to pick one? I go to both. I do. I do the Shore. 
That was I was talking about Polly G the other day, who has his own show now. It's, He's represented by my agency it's, now. Oh, <laughs> it's incredible to see who they'll give television programs to, but that's why I'm glad. Um, so you are in two shows now. You're on Dear Genevieve, and you're also a judge on Design Star. I am, and I start. I just started my next show too. We called Real Genevieve, how creative, um, <laughs> which is the the renovation of my own home. Oh my gosh. So the cameras are turning in and I'm doing, I bought the apartment next door since you've been oh. over. So I'm combining. Are you combining them? That's yeah. every New Yorker's dream. It is. Our, to just have those big spaces, knock down a wall and double it. And not have to move to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Are you going to bring in any more historical details for people yeah. who haven't seen your home before? You were the first home that I knew I wanted to include when I did a book. Mm-hmm. And you have all these amazing doorknobs and tiles from like the Minnesota public school system. Yeah. Is that where they're from? I, I raped and pillaged my home state. <laughs> <laughs> but you used them in the best possible way. And it was those details that all of our readers responded to so strongly. Oh, they liked and, it. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was, everyone was like, where do I get that? They wanted the exact same one. So right. it's a classic reaction. It's like, I just want to have exactly what she has mm-hmm. rather than finding their own version of of that mm-hmm. but um I, they're such beautiful unexpected details especially in manhattan thanks i mean i feel like those are the things that make it yours and so importing quote unquote from minnesota i could have the doors with the wood that i grew up with that sounds a certain way i mean this is how nerdy we get you know it's like the tonal values the touch and texture of the ironwork it's done so specifically in in different regions if you're from new mexico you got your own thing new york's got its thing it's all who settled it and who built there when building was good and so i will do that for the other side to create some kind of continuous flow but i am going to change up a lot of the finishes i need to my life has transitioned it's changed immensely since change I first, is good change is good and everyone's gonna be mad i know because they're like why did you do that it looks so good already but I like whatever you do next well i hope so we'll see having the cameras on me in this intimate of a situation is a new experience for me. You are braver than I am, my friend. I cannot imagine how stressful like redoing your home is anyway, let alone like bringing cameras into it. That's Well, it, I mean, I'm already divorced, so if I was married, I'd probably say no because we'd probably get a divorce. <laughs> was, I think you deserve a really long vacation after that project is done. That's way too. It will happen and no cameras will be coming. Exactly. With the, well, that'll segue into one of my questions I want to get before we're done. Is I want to know how you balance, if you balance real life and, mm. and work life. I think that's something we all struggle with and all the women I know who run design-based businesses we don't know how to unwind do you have anything you do to unwind or balance yeah it's a good question because I think it's probably the biggest challenge in all of our lives regardless if we do television or not if you're a mom or not but especially if you have kids I mean that for me was the big clarifying moment having a child is uh, there's this ability to say no because we're alpha And because we have a drive that can't be stopped and is absolutely appreciated and we become successful because of it in most aspects of our life, the child is just, it's the most important meeting. It's the most important occurrence during a day. And Suzanne's sitting right here, my my assistant right arm in life right now. Um, You know, you carve out six hours and you say this is the most important meeting that you would never interrupt for me if I were meeting somebody in Midtown. Mm -hmm. But if it's your kid, everyone feels... Like they can. So I I don't let them know it's with my kid. But she gets big chunks of every day. I walk her to school every day. And I make sure that I run as much as I can to turn my head off. 
because can you turn your head off? I know you got a lot. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. I have to like literally find some sort of aggressive activity that makes me like force my brain to turn off. What's the alpha female? You got to punch something. You got to run away from something. <laughs> do all of my friends who do yoga, I have no idea how that works for them. Way too antsy. I, I would sit there, my head would empty for a moment and then it would just, just everything would soak back into it and it would just be a meditation and like all the things I need to get done. I, I suck. I'm the same way. We're a breed. I can't. Yeah. And, and Pilates is a little better because we have a little more movement, but I feel like exercise, I have to make sure I go out with women Mm -hmm. Um, just for fun with no children and I have to go out and I have to go to a party now and then and I have to make that important even if we're too tired there's too many things to do it's just part it has to be scheduled in just like that meeting that we always have time for that's completely true I think scheduling in fun Mm -hmm. with work is so so crucial and it doesn't matter whether you're on tv or no you're a blogger whatever it is you need to find the time for it yeah or you lose touch and especially uh, being what doing what we do if you lose touch with the world because you're so focused on one thing, your art and your world suffers for it. So my child doesn't get everything she can get from me. My work isn't inspired anymore. I'm looking at the same thing, doing the same thing every day. If I don't vary it, A, I get bored. Mm-hmm. And B, you'll see it in my design, which will become boring. <laughs> How has she? Has your daughter changed the way that you look at art? I mean, I know that mm-hmm. kids change the way you look at the world so significantly. How's that impacted the way you look at design? You know, uh, I feel like I have a deeper understanding of half my clients now Mm. um, that I can relate and I'm taken as credible. Um, I don't feel as a designer that I ever turned off or turned down the volume on imagination. I mean, because that's my job to imagine harder than you can. And so I just now have this buddy that I can do it with. And so, and she's right there with me, like shouting out, you know, Cerulean or Chartreuse, (laughs) you know, and schooling her buddies. (laughs) And I mean, and it's just her imagination is wild. It's just untamed and beautiful. And that's inspiring to me. But it's feeling like I have a cohort Mm -hmm. in what we do that is um, the most wonderful. I think I've never heard anyone describe a designer as someone who can imagine harder or better than you can. And that's the most perfect description of it, because I think that we all lose that imagination, especially when it comes to your own space. I could walk in somebody else's house and figure it out in a second. But if I turn that on my own house, I'm completely lost and I have no idea how to imagine something. Right. You're going to watch me do that in a very short while on my new show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure and a refreshing interview. Thank you. So when does, when does Real Genevieve start? January 1st. January 1st. If you want to come over, I'm taping all fall and all winter. I'll be there. Don't, don't tempt me. I'll be there. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. You guys will be here next Monday at noon and you can check out Genevieve on Twitter too at real underscore Genevieve. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is fun. That's so cute. <laughs> See, I'm rolling, just, you know. You want me to say? Oops. Uh, I'm Jamie Porter. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Okay. You want it three times? Sure. Yeah, okay. Great. We're listening to Heritage Radio Network. You're or were? Uh, you are listening. To you are. Okay. Say, you know, say I'm Genevieve Porter. Okay. You, are listening to you got it.
I'm Genevieve Gorder, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. I'm Genevieve Gorder, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network. I'm Genevieve Gorder, and you're listening to Radio Heritage Network. You're welcome so much. So when are you doing?